Hello and welcome to another episode of Is This Just Fantasy? I'm your host, Geordie Bailey. And the guy that doesn't have to come up with anything this time, Duncan Nickel. Welcome to the to the start of a brand new year, Duncan. I don't remember if this is going out on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, but it's one of the two. No better way to welcome in the new year than look back at the old. A whole nother year of Is This Just Fantasy or Fortnightly Fantasy Book Club Review Podcast with me and Geordie taking a turn to pick a new book each and every two weeks and talk about it. Well done, Duncan. Wonderfully summarised. And over the past year, we've been to some pretty amazing places. You know, we've we've seen some fantasy novels that we never expected to cross our paths. We've had some surprises. We've had some low points. We've... F- forayed into the wide expanse of the fantasy genre and now looking back at 2023 a year which we can all look back and say fucking hell at least it wasn't the last couple right yeah it's up duncan of all the books we looked at this year any of it stood out to you geordie are you asking me for the biggest surprise this year. Or you're asking me for my favourite. Or you're asking me to what I think categorically was the best fantasy book we read this year. Why are you asking me? Yes. This is... No list would be complete without vigorous and rigorous categorization. There are four categories of which Duncan has proposed five responses. Our best book of the year. Our biggest surprise of the year. Our most disappointing book of the year, and the worst book of the year. But Duncan decided that it wasn't good enough for him. So I insist there be favourite book of the year. Which doesn't have to be your best book of the year, because sometimes it's not. Sometimes, I think you get this a lot in film, you watch something and you go, well yes, technically, The Godfather 2 is probably a better made movie than Armageddon. But you know what, Geordie... I love Armageddon. <laughs> Fun time. <laughs> Much rather watch that. I do appreciate the distinction. I mean, we've covered this in our podcast so far. My favourite fantasy story is Berserk, but I know in my heart of hearts that the best fantasy story is Strange the Dreamer. I think it's, it's, a, worth, it's a point worth making. I always had this debate with my partner where we're like, oh, who's the best like banter of all time and I remember once her dad was in the room and he's like well it all depends on your personal taste I'm like no I think your favorite depends on your personal taste I think you can categorically define like what constitutes the best of the thing or what the thing is then define what makes the thing define how those things that make the thing could be the best they could be and then you should be able to work out well who are the best is he See, this is why we've got Duncan on the podcast, because when we come to the end of it, we'll be able to say what the best fantasy novel is of all time, and no one will be able to dispute it, because we have the facts, people! What I really love is that not only do we only read one book a fortnight, like, that isn't even enough to keep pace with releases, let alone the back catalogue. So true. To be fair, it's more than enough to keep up with good releases. Oh, Probably. Duncan, I the, the biggest book in fantasy at the moment is the book Fourth Wing. Could not get through chapter one. Fucking hell, does that feel really bad? And sometimes just just the case. Sometimes it's hyped and you feel disappointed by it. Sometimes you won't expect anything and you're surprised. That's not saying one was necessarily worse than the other. Just what your expectation is going into. Which category are you pivoting into? I think now, it's Duncan? important to start off with the biggest surprise. What book came out this year that we mm. read, not came out this year, what book did we review this year, Geordie, that you just were blindsided by? You didn't expect it to be either as good as it was or you just hadn't heard of it at all. Or maybe you thought it was going to be bad and it was actually okay. What was the biggest surprise for you? Yeah, this this is one where I was thinking hard about this and there was a good chance that this was going to be the Worm and His Kings, because I didn't know anything about it, and therefore I was really pleasantly surprised by how much I enjoyed it. But in terms of pure surprise, nothing can come close to a study in Emerald. Fair. Excellent pick. Study in Emerald by Neil Gaiman is a 
retelling mm. of the study in scarlet the first sherlock holmes story but with a cthulhu mythos twist geordie wonderful pick and the thing that made it the thing that made it so surprising is not just the twists and not just the way it's been reshaped and bent, but just the, the way I found it, which is that I just happened to be on my phone during my lunch break. Someone mentioned it. I clicked a hyperlink and suddenly I was reading it and having an amazing time. There is no greater experience, more surprising in reading anything than when you just happen to pick up a story and suddenly find yourself falling into it out of control. And something that I think I kind of missed out on, you recommended it to me. So in a way, I knew it was kind of going to be good, but I still hadn't heard of it. I think it's very under the radar for Neil Gaiman's books. He's a B author. Why isn't this spoken about more? Do you do you feel it deserves the height of this prestigious category, Duncan, or is there something even more surprising out there? There was something more surprising out there, yet saying it now will be less of a surprise because you've already mentioned it and that was sure the worm and his kings i had no idea about this book i'll be honest i hadn't even heard of the author Haley piper before you put this recommendation before me and geordie i loved it i feel that this was slightly more of a surprise for me because at least with a study in emerald i've heard of neil gaiman i know he's a pretty top tier man this was something and you know about Cthulhu and yeah. Sherlock Holmes. I knew I knew where the idea could go. Surprisingly well executed and beautifully presented online. But the worm and his kings. I was like, it wasn't just a surprise of a great story. It was the surprise of discovering a great author and being like, oh my goodness, I want to now read so much more of their works. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a reason why I was fighting for the top spot. If I hadn't been going through my list of stuff we'd read this year and run across uh, a study in Emerald and gone, oh yeah, we did read that this year. That was really surprising. That one definitely would have been top of the list. A very, very pleasant surprise. Duncan, would you like to lead us through to the next category, or should we take a little diversion and talk about some of the other stuff we've experienced this year? After all, this is a fancy book club, but we don't just read books, and we don't just read fancy novels either. That is true. Let's take a little diversion before we get to the next category. So, Geordie, anything that you've read this year that's really hit you, perhaps it's even surprised you as well, that you weren't expecting, and it just couldn't be talked about on the podcast at the time, because it just wasn't relevant to our series. That's hard to say, actually. I mean, looking back through my head at all the other stuff we read this year, I mean or that I read this year in my personal time, I guess it's it's a toss-up, okay? Because there's two books I read this year which are not fantasy, which I enjoyed a great deal. And in fact, I'm going to put them in different categories because one of them is fiction and one of them is non-fiction. And I'm pretty sure I cheated and did that last year as well so I could talk about Jeanette McCurdy's autobiography. Um, and the fiction book I read this year, which I enjoyed... And now that I'm saying it, I remember that it is fantasy, but we didn't do it on a podcast. It's The Stand by Stephen King. I know I talked about it earlier in the year, but it's such a long book that I spent such a huge amount of time going through it and reading it. And it spanned over about four different books we read for this podcast that I really couldn't separate from all of them. And it because it took up such a substantial part of my year, I felt a very personal connection to it. Like, I was going through life events whilst reading this unstoppably long book. So tell us a little bit more about it then. Stephen King, horror? Horror fantasy? Of course, absolutely. It's a, it's an apocalyptic horror fantasy novel. It is technically fantasy, even though the main bad thing happening in it is a super virus that wipes out humanity. Because there's a wizard in it. Um, really more of a, a Satan character who they have to defy. Um, the thing that really works about the story is that it's really about, you know, human personal relationships. It, it, once society's fallen apart, you spend the whole time craving to see these characters interact and, and meet up. And then form a society. But my favourite part of this book, by far, is just when you see all these disparate characters collect together and start to rebuild society and that's always my favorite part of a post-apocalyptic story 
in many respects, it's it wouldn't be very interesting post-apocalyptic. It's about people kind of striving to rebuild or even rebuild better. That's a really good take. I'm I feel bad because I've got to admit I'm probably never going to read it. I understand. Sorry, it's a long one. I don't. It's a long one, and you'd probably be better off with The Shining. I don't know. I I have read The Shining. I want to read more Stephen King. I've read The Shining. I've read through The Eyes of the Dragon. Have you ever read that one? Is that his like really early fantasy novel? Yes, it is. It's a good read. I was I was looking around at that novel to determine whether we should do it for Halloween because to see whether it was horror, and that led me to think about Stephen King, and that just led me to pick up the stand and. And then accidentally discover that it was a fantasy novel. Do you know what, Jordy? I've just realised. I don't know why I'm surprised about, you know, thinking about Stephen King and fantasy. He wrote The Dark Tower, one of the biggest fantasy works out yes. there. This is- and a big surprise, Duncan, and I think I didn't even mention this in this one, is that the villain of The Stand is also the villain of The Dark Tower. That's why it's a fantasy novel. See, Stephen King, he's fully on the shared universe train, isn't he? Absolutely. He's right in there with Michael Moorcock. Speaking of Michael Moorcock, that's a book we read this year, Duncan. Um, are there any other books that you read this year which you'd like to talk about now? Yes, okay. So something that I read this year, which I believe I've briefly brought up, and there's even, there's even a lovely Instagram post of me sitting on a train reading it, is The House of Many Ways, mm. the third book in the yes. Howl's Moving Castle series. And Geordie, we... Just the other day, read Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe. And if there was a series that I felt kind of captured, uh, not on maybe a similar vibe. No, yeah, similar vibe of like whimsy and adventure and a blending of high fantasy and fairy tale. It would be Diana Jones's Howl's Moving Castle series. I don't know what the actual name of the series is. Howl's series? Howl's not in all of them. Well, he is just, I don't know, the castle series. I'm not sure what the title is, mm. <laughs> but it kind of gets the, the same vibe when it comes about blending fairy tales. Now, unlike something like Narnia, which blends it with more of the higher epic fantasy, and obviously I think ties it quite young, the Howl series, I think, takes that sort of whims in the fairy tale, but blends it a little bit more with that kind of Legends of Latte sprinkling. It's a tad more slice of life kind of vibe to it. That's true. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I have read Howl's Moving Castle of a book and seen the movie many times. It's one of my favorites. And so much of those stories are just about doing the cleaning. You know, they're about keeping a house in working order when you happen to work for a wizard and make hats whilst talking to them. I don't know what kind of why I just gel with the one. I do think Howl's Many Ways is the second best of the series for me. I think it stands just above Castle in the Air. And it just kind of fit. I don't know how to put this. So the series was written over so many years. I almost had this anxiety, mm-hmm. like, how can Diana Jones keep this up with such long gaps? How can she have something that just feels so particularly coherent when you're writing over such a long time frame? And maybe it's very different stories. Each story focuses on, on a different main character. Although different um, side characters do appear, main characters in one become side characters in another. Uh, but it did. And she pulled it off. And I was genuinely amazed. And I'd fully recommend the first book in the series, How's Moving Castle, to anyone. I love that if you've yeah. seen the film, read the book. It does have its own unique vibe, which is equally as good, if not more lovely in ways. And if you're thinking, I want to read the next books in the series, if you touch the second book and you're like, oh, I'm not sure, just go and read the third book. The third book hones much closer to the first book's vibe and style and pacing. Beautiful there. But those are good books, Geordie. Do you want to talk about some disappointing ones? So disappointing to me means it's not necessarily the worst one we've done, but it's the one where we had really high expectations going in and then I felt they were let down. It was definitely a toss-up between two books, I had to wade them back and forth. And looking back, I think the one I have to decide against is Warbreaker by Brandon Sanderson. Sacre bleu! And the reason why... No! Yes, the reason why this one had to be just disappointing is that he's obviously such a big figure in fantasy, and this is my first time reading him ever. I had some understandably high expectations, and I felt like they were let down. I think I'm kind of reeling in shock here. Now, we 
neither of us particularly in, loved the book. Yeah, I think our our episode yeah. on it, while we picked out some positives, was ultimately negative, and I ultimately had to say sorry. I this was the wrong Brandon Sanderson book to offer up as your first experience. Yeah, and he's ruined forever. I'll never be able to enjoy him. Now that is not the case. I will get you back on the Sanderson train eventually. Is there anything in particular that you feel when it comes to disappointing? It was it, was it mostly was it the hype? Was it the was it my hype or was it, it the was cultural the hype. hype? Absolutely, it was the hype. It's the cultural hype of this is the biggest name in fantasy stories, which only men read. That's a joke, but you know, but like outside the re- the biggest end of fantasy, which is of course the more geared towards women YA fantasy, like of course Hunts of Roses. Um, Brandon Sanderson is the biggest name around, more so than Joe Abercrombie, more so than Neil Gaiman, and I felt this this is it. This is what everyone's hyping about. What the fuck? And like even the stuff in it that I expected him to be really good at, like I've heard he's good at writing fight scenes. I didn't like the fight scenes. I I was told there'd be a lot of really clever uses of magic. I didn't feel there were a lot of very clever uses of magic. It's definitely a case where I felt that I had done you wrong. I really wish if I could go back in time, Geordie, I would have given you Final Empire. Because I think it would have been a much nicer introduction. And I think it's worth making really clear. I don't think Warbreaker, and tell me if you agree, even if you went into Warbreaker without the hype... Still wasn't a particularly great story. I'd agree with that. I think it's just fine in terms of story. A bit. I mean, the stuff in it. <laughs> I Sorry, I just remembered the fact that the two characters at the end, when he gets his voice back, they don't talk, and I got mad about it all over again. He just learned to speak. You don't want to tell your wife you love her? Clearly, that's not important to Brandon Sanderson. We've got to have these two other characters have a bit of witty banter as they walk away. Oh boy. Oh boy. Duncan, what was your most disappointing book of the year? My most disappointing book, and this was a really interesting one, because I was set up so quickly for this book. Unlike you and Brandon Sanderson, it was not years and years of people telling me how great this was going to be. Now, this person has been in the zeitgeist for years and years and everyone else was talking about how great they were. I was kind of blissfully unaware of that. I simply read the first book, enjoyed it, and immediately fell over on the second book. And that is Children of Virtue and Violence. Yes. Is it violence or vengeance? Does it matter? (laughs) Do we care? I am really sorry because I really wanted to love this book the same way I, love's a strong word, really enjoyed the first one. The first one was like, this is interesting, this is different, this is asking really challenging questions, but wrapping mm-hmm. it up in a really nice sort of traditional uh, YA package. And I got to the second book and I've re-listened to our episode on that, Geordie, and I remember, I feel like I'm almost stumbling over my words, just being like, um, it's messy and it's not clear and the direction's off and I just was like gosh I wish I could have articulated it better and I probably won't do any better now because it was just a case of reading a book and thinking why are the characters that I grew to love acting so stupid or so petty or yeah. just completely irrational I didn't feel like they were the same characters if they were the same characters they had rapidly turned into people I didn't like <sighs> so true and it completely fell apart after that and it is a disappointment because the first book had those characters had what i liked but was also suggesting that it was going to ask and answer or at least discuss some really interesting questions about oppression about race about society and how you can't you know the use of violence and uprisings and how the power dynamic has has to balance out and how you know you can't two wrongs don't make a right and I don't feel like any of those questions were either properly addressed in that second book. I feel mm. a lot of MacGuffins just came up to avoid those questions. But not only that, and this is the real pain and something that I hope so much that when the third book in the series comes out, I believe scheduled for next year. I really That's hope right. that it does correct course. Because I almost felt that this book spoilt the opportunity to even have those discussions anymore. I genuinely felt that Children, Virtues and Violence not only 
wasn't enjoyable for me as a book, but almost kind of retroactively, poisoned blood and bone, and Mel makes me think, dear God, how can you salvage this in anguish and agony? I believe is the third one. That's right. Yeah, um, it couldn't be the most disappointing for me, obviously, because I had already read it, and I went back into it with the knowledge of how it's changed. I was hoping that my opinion on it would have shifted, but it had... I actually feel like I was softer on it this time, but um, than I was the first time. But uh, yeah, it's um, the cover of the next book is like the first one is uh, they try to bury us. Now we rise, and the last book is now we rule. And it keeps I keep flashing back to that moment in our episode discussing it where we're like so. What sort of political system are they proposing to change it to? Because right now it kind of feels like they're talking about making it into just a slightly different ethno state. And the cover of the next book kind of implies that that is exactly the direction it's going to go down. So we will have to see, won't we? We will. But before then, Geordie, early on we talked about other books that we'd enjoyed over yes. the year. Geordie, have you enjoyed any other media? Did you enjoy any uh, films this year? I didn't go to the cinema that much this year, to be honest. Uh, did the Dungeons & Dragons movie come out this year? I enjoyed that. It did Yeah, indeed. that was a good one. Good one. You talked about it, Geordie. You talked about it on your own for a whole episode of Just Your Voice. That's right, when Duncan had coronavirus and I had to, <laughs> to make up for it myself. I wasn't even living in any house at that point. I was adrift in the wind. I had to carry my microphone between different buildings and get it out of storage. Oh, my life. I just... But I also enjoyed other stuff. I enjoyed Barbieheimer. That was a good double feature. I didn't see a double feature. I saw them at different times. But I enjoyed both of them a lot. I'm actually yet to watch Offenheimer. I, too, went to see Barbie. I saw it opening day, finished work early, went there in pink with my partner. They got the uh, the Barbie Excellent. mug amazing film experience it was so nice to be a film and actually have the audience i don't think i've been in a cinema where the audience was so like hyped and engaged since potentially force awakens like there was just a buzz in the room yes that's great i definitely had a decent audience but nothing to compare to like the really good audience participation like um movies uh experience i had before Again, I can't remember if it was this year or not, but I did enjoy seeing Dragon Ball Super Superhero in cinemas. That might have been last year, though. Time is so weird. I can't speak to that one. The only other films I've seen this year that I know I saw was, was I saw The Haunting in Venice, which sort of is, you could argue is a little fantasy. It was, I thought, the best of um, Kenneth Branagh's Praro trilogy series. I think he's going to continue them. What a what a height to sail to. It's one of those films that it came out on Disney Plus like a month later and my partner was just like, yeah. why did we bother? I'm like, we had free vouchers. <laughs> That's why we bothered. That's just me with every Marvel movie at this point, except I don't go see them on Disney Plus either because again, what's the point? Um, and the only other film I saw this year, Geordie, was My Be Fat Greek Wedding 3. Wow. I know, I know, saw it in cinemas. I didn't know there was a second one. Second one's actually legitimately very good. I love the second one. Uh, Third one, (laughs) third one not as good. Uh, To be brutally honest, if my partner hadn't offered to get me a Tango Ice Blast, might not have gone. (laughs) It definitely was one of those movies. Have you ever seen a movie? That's a good image. uh, Or even, I I get this for stage plays several times in my life. Geordie, have you ever watched a piece of media and gone, wow. Those actors are having more fun there than I am sitting here. Yes, yes, I think I do know what you mean. Just, I was watching this movie and it's set in in Greece and all these actors are clearly being flown out there in these lovely places. I'm like, mm-hmm. you're just having a holiday and getting a paycheck. Right. I can tell. I can tell. None of you think... It sounds like an Adam Sandler movie. Yes, exactly. Not that bad. Much better than his lowest standard. So... Hmm. I wouldn't say I don't recommend it. It reminds me of, um, yeah. the, so there's a tradition in Cambridge of going to see the pantomime of the ADC theatre, which is run by university students. And we used to do it every year. Um, but we did feel like the quality was starting to wane. And in one year, I think it was the Emperor's New Clothes. Like, that's not even a fucking pantomime. Like, you can't do the Emperor's New Clothes. It's not even a complete story. It's an allegory. Anyway, 
Um, it was so bad. It was awful. Uh, no one was laughing. And if they were, they were doing like chuckles. <laughs> and then, right before intermission, three new actors entered the play. And these guys, you could just tell, were like best friends. You could tell they were like really close in real life. And everything they said was so much funnier than everyone else in the play because the chemistry was so real and it had such snappy, quick repartee. And you could tell that basically everyone else in the performance was like, you know, the third years. They were the people who established they'd been in this before. And these three guys were new blood. They were fresh. They'd never been in before. They had a minor part because, you know, they were literally more junior students at the college. But like... They were so magnetic. However, we still left it intermission and didn't come back. And we've never been back. I mean, I I feel you. I understand. I, I actually respect you for walking out at intermission. If you're not enjoying it, you're not obligated to stay there. I don't think I've ever seen something it's that bad. It's so rare for me to do that. It's so rare. You have to be truly dire. I'm fortunate. There's an amateur group near me uh, based with the Royal Navy. There's a naval base not far away from where I live and they have an amateur dramatic society. Honestly, mate, those guys. Finest. They they know how to thread a line <laughs> between are you are you serious? Are you trying to do this seriously? No, no, maybe? Okay, I'm just going to laugh anyway. We're all laughing? Okay, that's the vibe. I'm glad we've got it. Um, I think they. So we've done the biggest surprise and we've done the biggest disappointment, Duncan. What do we hit first? I think we have to save the best for last, right? I think we have to. So I. No, 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 no. I think we have to do our favourite for last. I think we now need to go best, worst, favourite. I haven't decided I have a favourite. I'm pretty sure my best is my favourite. Hang on. I'm going to revisit it. This is when Geordie realises I've only divided them up because I want to get in two bests because I couldn't pick between them. So, I think best fantasy novel, which we read in this year, was Strange and Norrell. Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. I don't know if I agree, but speak on. I felt that no other book created such a sense of place and time, and stood out from the crowd in such a significant way compared to that book. It was funny, it was charming, it was dark, it was a luxurious journey through a meticulously researched Regency period. I had such a blast reading it. And it was my second time reading it, and it was like slipping back into a warm bath. That's so nice to hear. I had such a different experience of Strange and Norrell. Strange and Oral was the first book of the year. We gave ourselves a whole month to read Strange and Oral. And to be honest, Geordie, it almost slowed down my entire reading for the year. It genuinely felt like I'd taken off in my car and not released the handbrake. I found this book, despite ultimately satisfying, a drag to read. I mean, I, I cannot relate to that, to be honest. Like, it is slow reading. You don't fly through it. But still, I mean, I think it's just constantly engaging. Whenever you're reading something and you're just finding out different things about the characters' relationships, and there are so many characters to explore through the narrative, I don't know, I, I completely adore it. I think it is, and it's so... It just stands out so much, you know? It's a combination of so many years of work to create. It certainly is impressive. And the ending, the way it all comes together at the end, it's very impressive. No, and that was something I said at the time, and I do stand by. There are moments in that book where I'm like, you're not tying this all together. And then when she, she does, when it the tapestry mm-hmm. gets perfectly signed off at the end, I was like, okay, I am impressed. I am genuinely impressed by your skill as an author in putting together this work. Even if I personally didn't enjoy it as much, I can recognise the skill. Are you interested in what my best is? I I certainly... Yes, I, I definitely want to know what your best is, Duncan. What do you think the best is? Oh, uh, you see, now we've gotten to this point, I'm doubting myself. Because you said, Strange and I'm like, <laughs> oh, God. Now I've got to basically say that I think this is a better work of fantasy than Strange and Oh. Do it, man. 
Lay it on me. What's better than Strange and Noro? I think the Northern Lights is. That's really interesting, because I was thinking about this, and putting them together, I put the Northern Lights at the bottom of the pile of his Dark Materials. Well, okay, I'm actually going to... I'm going to categorize what I've just said there, because I did just say the Northern Lights, but I actually had written down his Dark Materials, and then I felt I had to pick a book. That's, and that's... That, that, but it is a book. You have to pick a book. No, I changed my mind. I changed my mind. It's No, I changed my okay. mind. It has to be Subtle Knife. I think it has the best balance. I think the characterisation between Lyra and Will and Subtle Knife is fantastic. I think that Mm. the new ideas, having expands on this fantasy work, the the, the fantastical world from the previous book is just unparalleled. Mm -hmm. And I think the way that that story keeps pace and moves along is just so well done. And um, another point, and maybe this is wrong and maybe i'm conflating with what my favorite is or how my emotions feel but i think the skill in which in that book the way that the author philip Pullman, makes me emotional with the death of a character stands Mm. out above pretty much anything else we read this year in terms of just engaging me emotionally and that is a skill even more than when viv made everyone into a co-op yeah that was heartless you didn't I didn't cry. It's not. It's different type of heart. It's different type of touching. It's different type. Of I, when Pendry shows up to rebuild the, the shop, that was really emotional for me. But no, the like that Pendry showing up at the shop made me tear up in uh, in the office at my own private desk. Lee Scoresby's death made me start to cry in a co-op. Lee Scoresby's death genuinely had my partner lying next to me in bed turn to me and be like, "Duncan, are you all right?" <laughs> it hit me and i have to say that to do that in a way that strange and all never hit me on that emotional level i think that was a failing sure sure. and i can't articulate why well i i I don't think the book is supposed to make you feel the same things like part of it is sort of this classic slightly emotionally detached gentlemanliness of it all you're not really grant enough access to people's feelings as opposed to Philip Pullman, where it is so rawly emotional. But yes, I, I, I see your point. I see your point. I'm, I'll stand by it. And I'm sure when we finally come to do another tier list down the line, I will reshuffle the His Dark Materials trilogy again and pull out a different one on a different day. Mm, but mm. I think today it is The Subtle Knife. Although I have written down just His Dark Materials, because truly I feel if I could have that as a pick, Geordie, that would be at the top. It's a shame I have to divide up trilogies. But that is a trilogy that is notably worth dividing up because they mm. are so different. Yeah, and it's not like we could have done a whole podcast episode on his dark materials. That would have been uh, messy. That would have been a messy time. You almost would have to summarise just like how each one made you feel and just move on. Yeah, this one made me feel like childhood whimsy. This one made me feel like adolescence. And this one made me just feel weird and confused. <laughs> So, Duncan, is there anything else we feel like we want to hit before we get to the next one for worst? Yes, of the year? I want to talk about graphic novels and comics because I've read a ton. Okay, sure. And I often don't bring them up because, other than reading Conan comics, which I've only read a very few this year because the series has kind of uh, went dormant for the first six months, I've actually read an awful lot of Batman comics. And I also read this year Watchmen for the first time. And it was a really interesting experience for me. So are you aware of Watchmen? Yes, of course. I have I know, I feel like I know every single part of it quite intimately, but I've never read it. <laughs> I would highly recommend that you do. Watchmen came out in the 80s. It was very much this sort of look back on comic books up to that point, nearly you know, 40 years of comics. At the same time, it set a precedent for comics being written going forward. And weirdly, we're really hitting a point now where Watchmen's going to be like this midpoint in the comic book industry. It's been like 33 years since it was written. It's getting old. Yeah, there was a period of time in comic books where it was definitively the post-Watchmen period. That's where you get stuff like Irredeemable and All-Star Batman, stuff like that. 
Um, Irredeemables is a good comic book. People hate the ending, but they're wrong. And I think it's really worth then just iterating how, yes, there are definitely, there's a trigger warning. I would definitely slap hard on the cover of Watchmen. Uh, going to be clear, it does deal with some very tough um, topics, particularly around um, sexual violence and just violence in general. But to actually take the time to go back and read the original book, I was really shocked how a comic book from that time got me emotionally. And still, mm. even all these years later, I think there are aspects, you could said like post-Watchmen comics, and reading a lot of Batman, Bat- Batman, Batman from the 80s, <laughs> Batman. You, I can certainly see that influence. I've been reading a lot of the post-Infinite crisis batman comics sort of in a chronological way through nightfall and no man's land and death in the family not in that order and i can definitely see that influence but i do think when you actually read just watchmen it does some things that i don't think anyone actually really grasped i think it had some ideas that i think only it did and while some people took the superficial elements in terms of the tone and maybe sometimes the characterization mm. In terms of the actual themes, I think it still stands. Now I know why Duncan's been coming to all our podcast recording sessions in a trench coat and a weird mask. And you've got to understand when someone's not meant to be the hero. (laughs) Something a lot of the people on the Watchmen forums still seem to be confused at. Uh, I I don't think I've really done a lot of, like, reading manga and comic books this year. Uh, I did it a little bit, but it's definitely way less of a, has less of a presence in my life than it used to. Um, I guess the series I've enjoyed most this year is Blue Lock. It's about football. Uh, I like it. Apparently a lot of people fucking hate it for some reason. I don't know why. I think it's just people being mad that a series is successful. But yeah, it's really good. Um, amazing art. Very, very direct, simple characters. I don't know why people are complaining about it. I enjoy it a lot. It's very exciting. And it's really interesting. And it got me into playing football again. Okay, I need to stop you on that one. Really? Um, I have never yeah, liked the yeah, game I mean, football. I just... I, what what I ha- has engaged you? Well, it was... um. So, uh, my, my workplace does a Friday football game every week. And I previously didn't do it because I was just doing gym weightlifting stuff. But I was reading this comic book and I was like, yeah, you know, I, I used to enjoy this stuff. I was never that good, but I've gotten so much better at being bad at stuff, you know, and just accepting that I'm bad in it and I have to get better. Um, and this is just one of the things that I started off being bad at this year, which I've slowly gotten a little bit better at, along with, you know, guitar and editing podcasts. I think there's several points I want to hit there. Taking about being better at being bad at stuff, I definitely feel, and tell me if you feel differently about this, like getting older has made me so much more um, accepting of being bad at things. So I feel like when I was young, there's mm. this expectation of like, oh no, you're you're eight and you want to play football. You could be the next football star. Mm. You could be on the national team. And like when you're 27, you can just go, well, that's not going to happen. I can just be at whatever level I'm at. Mm. And if I'm having fun, that's enough. I don't know if you have similar vibes. That's why I try to remember. Um, and I think it's also really important you brought up there, people really hating a work. Because I really try not to hate a piece of artwork. And uh, books and comics, you know, that's what they are. They're, I think they're a piece of art, they're a piece of media. So an artist has created them, hopefully. <laughs> not an AI. And put them out in the world. And I often like see like I can be disappointed by it. I can not like something. I can really not like something. But mm. I often feel like well, at the most, I don't like to take that hatred around with me. I I like to just then drop it into indifference. Truly, I think that's the worst thing. That's the worst critique you can ever kind of give a piece of art is say, yeah, it just made me feel nothing. I think that's like the lowest level. Well, but I will personally disagree. Because there is a special place of hatred in my heart for the next book we're going to talk about. So let's talk about our worst pick of the year. I'm really interested this one's finally the same. I think it's going to be the same, right? Should we just say it on the count of three? One, two, three. Jarell of Joy. Yeah. 
What else is it going to be? Duncan, the weirdest fucking thing happened the other day. Someone asked a question on Reddit where they were like, hey, can someone recommend like some old sword and sorcery that was written by women? And this person provided a long list of answers, and one of them was Jirella Jory. And I chimed in to say, hey, just to say, I would seriously not recommend Jirella Jory. I thought it was really bad. And I got a bunch of downvotes. So apparently C.L. Moore has some loyal shooters out here. Well, I'll be honest with you, Geordie. That's how I kind of discovered C.L. Moore. A lot of people were recommending her work, and particularly Gerald of Jewelry. And I want to make it clear, I have not read her further work outside Gerald of Jewelry. And some of it could be a lot better. But, God almighty, the six stories that I pushed myself through this year... This was not long. And only Duncan pushed himself through, because I read two of them. No, three. I read three. But, fucking hell, were they hard. That's the only time in this entire podcast that I have failed to finish a book. And not a long one. Not a long one at all. And I do look at those people who make those recommendations. And I'm just like, sorry, have you have you read any Conan the Barbarian? Have you read any Michael Moorcock? Have you read any Fafnir and the Grey Mouser? Like, you do know what good sword and sorcery looks like. Because this is not it, or at least this is something so far removed, it should not be in the same recommendations. It just, it, it defies belief. I, I It really has to just be the fact that it's such a novelty to have sword and sorcery that was at that era to be written by a woman. And she has survived through that novelty because I really struggle to imagine anyone, anyone who just say, oh yeah, I love it. So these stories, for people who maybe have not listened to the episode, obviously go back and give a listen. The first two are so drenched in description that there is almost no room left for character, for excitement, for adventure. It's the exact opposite of The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. It's the exact opposite. The way that book has such a light touch in how it talks about the way in which they travel, just focusing on one or two points and then moving on to the next part, it's the exact opposite. Every single step of the journey, everything she sees, everything she feels, even if it's of no consequence, is explored as she makes her way through to this vague destination. And again, to be clear, some of the latest... So that mostly refers to the first two stories in the Gerald Jewelry collection, the one that's most widely available. I think it's called the Masterworks collection. Now, the latest stories mm. do change up. They do slowly get better. But even by the final story, which is the first one that begins to approach, in my mind, good, it, mediocre, okay, it's still not great. And it's still not something that I feel deserves to be echoed down the years like no one should be yelling from the rooftops check out Jarell of Jewelry check out CL Moore check out any of those other recommendations but not this one I am interested to see more of that spaceman Han Solo guy I think maybe there's some good stuff there because he felt like that one felt like it really captured a lot more of uh, you know it's just a different attitude a different suavity a different sense of uh a different sense of character history as opposed to Jarell, who's just so hollow. I feel like at least that's a sort of archetypical character I could get behind, but who knows? Who knows? I'm not going to read it. I have better things to do. Fair enough. And I'm kind of glad we're on the same page. Again, this is one of those ones where, like Georgie said, there are loads of people who disagree with us. If you're one of those people, please reach out to us and just articulate don't just say oh it's the great or you don't get it try and just articulate to me because i want to understand what is it with I truly i want to understand so if you want to reach out to us a great place to do so is on instagram it's just fantasy podcast geordie that's the hard one that's the one you Shall we get to a high about. point let's talk about the high points let's talk about our favorite the one that you just want to almost reread immediately I think last year you had a book that you actually did reread immediately. And you're exactly right, Duncan. And it's the fact that I have already started to reread this story because I find it so comforting and so close that it has just eked its way past another book to become what I consider to be my favourite 
of year. Not necessarily the best, but definitely my favourite. And that is Legends and Lattes. I I actually feel kind of warm and giddy inside hearing you say that. Because you chose it. Yes, that is a factor. (laughs) (laughs) But it was a book that I felt we took a risk on. It was outside our normal fare, and I really didn't know which way it was going to go. That's true. So, Geordie, why is it your favourite? Well, whenever I pick it up, I, I genuinely, I just listen to it in the evenings when I'm about to go to bed because I just feel so relaxed and calm listening to it. And it's so devoid of, of like, tension and I just I feel so relaxed. And it has it's not just the fact that nothing really bad happens in it. I mean, someone's house does burn down and they almost die, but... The way in which it handles just the day-to-day activity with a certain slowness and warmth, it's, again, it's the exact opposite of Jurel of Jewelry because it is so hell-bent on the details, but with such a delicate, light touch. Touch once, move on. It drifts across the page like a ballet dancer. It certainly had this element of making the mundane magical. In a way that really connected me to the idea of, oh my goodness, compared to almost anything else I've ever read, I want to step into this story. I want to be in Viv's coffee shop. Mm -hmm. I feel like I could not be happier unless I could be in that realm and smell the smells, feel the grain on the wood tables. Like that was the level of I need to have be in this place. It's that same sense of warm, nice progression you get in like a very chill video game where you see something start from nothing and then you can look back at certain points of the story and say, look how far we've come. Look how far we've all come through this story. And that's such an achievement, particularly when I think the normal trope in fantasy is to have the captives go on a journey. You can stand there at the end of the journey on the slopes of Mount Doom and go, oh my goodness, do you remember the, mm-hmm. the chapters in Lothlorien? There it was on the map. But to do that kind of vibe, but in one place, to see a place come together mm. and a business form, I think it's, an, I felt like it was a novel approach. Reading it, I'm, I'm sure there might be other examples someone could definitely pull out and be like, excuse me, it was done here. And I'd be like, great. Mm. But this was my introduction. Absolutely. I mean, I know that there is a subreddit called r slash cozy fantasy. So there's got to be something in there. It can't just be this one one book. book. And its sequel. (laughs) And its sequel, which I purchased today. Well, let me know what you think of that one, Geordie. But Duncan, that was my favourite of the year. It had to beat out another book to get there. It was a pretty tight, pretty tight fight. What is your favourite of the year? Well, I almost feel like I gushed so much over Legends and Lattes when you brought it up that I almost feel like I, I could almost change my pick. But this one just eats <laughs> out as well because of all the books we've read this year, this is the one that I'm actively looking into next year's schedule and thinking, when can I fit in rereading this? I want to go on this adventure mm. again. And God almighty, Geordie, I, want, I need the sequel. I have... You know, this is giving me that same buzz of like, if I found out when the sequel was coming out, I would put it in my calendar. I would pre-order it. I would, I would have that kind of sequel buzz that I don't think I felt since, well, since George R. R. Martin killed it. So, <sighs> oof. I know. I think if there's one tradition we can leave in the past, it's Duncan just throwing rocks at George R. R. Martin whenever he can. It's been so long. 12 years. I can't do over, go over it again. I don't care, Duncan. What's your favourite book? It was The Black Tongue Thief by Christopher Bullman. Yes. This. That was the one which Legend Lato just eked out and it couldn't be more different. Jordy, this book. This book gave me a rush. Gave me a rush. Probably mm. the closest thing I could then compare it to was last year reading Kings of the Wild. This gave sure. me a sense of of genuine love to be a fantasy fan. I was, it, it was This was mm. the moment where I went, this is why I'm here. Not that other books we've read haven't been yeah. amazing. I loved reading, um, let's go back to last year again, but Song of Achilles, or even Secrets of the Girls. 
this year. And I go, oh, I'm really glad I read that book. Sounds. It gave me a really, you know, good insight and a good idea. And I really love reading Stranger Norrell. And I go, oh, yes, 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 I see what you're doing. That's very good. And I love reading Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials. I go, oh, Philip, you have, you have picked these elements and it had a real good emotional connection with me. But for me, right here, right mm-hmm. now, 27-year-old me, The Black Tongue Thief was like, this is why I do this. Is to read books like this, (laughs) to read a blend of classic fancy heroic elements. But Christopher, he puts in an element of just dark horror, just a slice of it, like a the single line running through his like marble cake, that just Mm. brings everything else out. It's so true. I mean, let's put it one way. How many books do we read, despite being a fantasy podcast that has a genuine quest running through it? Not just characters have objectives they want to achieve, but they have a stated mission and they're going to go on an actual journey to complete it. Like of this year, we had like uh, Children of Blood and Bone. That's got a quest. Did any other book actually have a quest in it? Um, Eye of Argon? Okay. No, well, no, he doesn't have a quest. He just gets arrested. (laughs) That is absolutely true. No, I don't think another one did. This really was. This was a quest. This was a journey. This felt like someone had took the heroic fantasy of my childhood. And I think this is very important. It's not like reading Game of Thrones, where it makes it more adult because you've got politics and factions and all these moving elements it keeps the core simple mm. almost like when i was reading like del Toro quest as a kid but it makes it a tote with it's sort of it, its darkness and its grittiness at points and the depth of the characters and the and especially we've always agreed that this is the strongest part of a story the narrative voice to be right in the character's head and listening to him tell you his story to have a character who in some respects misremembers another character because you're seeing that other character through his own like depressed recollections of how he wants to remember him Mm -hmm. not even as he was as you first experienced him i'm like that was such a fine bit of work and an unnecessary added detail but by putting that extra bit of effort in it just kind of highlights how well the character work was being done and you're absolutely right it has a voice where i feel like if i was to reread that you could how do i put this what's the best kind of phrasing i know uh when that cat when the main character of, of the black tongue thief and i, I feel really ashamed now because i've actually got it let me just remember it's been a while it's been a while it's going to be k right it's like kip kit something um Kinch. 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 Okay. It's okay to not remember that name. That's a hard name to remember. You know when Kinch is talking. I feel like if you gave me a random scene, you no descriptions, a character is just sat in the mm-hmm. tavern drinking their ale. I would know that it was Kinch's voice. I would know it would be it was Christopher Billman's yeah, world. So true. Just by the way Kinch would describe the tavern and its inhabitants to me. That's right. That's so true. And it really is also a testament to his skills as a writer that he can take the ending of that book, which is so um, out there and almost out of continuity with the way this like one giant character is introduced. I know we never discussed this in the episode, but it's so much information is suddenly downloaded onto you and it still works somehow. It's unbelievable how well he's able to just convey information to you to tell a story. What a talent. What a talent and a talent that I hope we're going to keep seeing so much more work from going into the future. Like I said, when the next yeah. book comes, the, 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 I'll be there. Very recently, Duncan, we've had the cover reveal for The Daughter's War. It's very exciting stuff. Have you had a date yet, though? That's the real question. Um, Actually, so first of all, yes. I think it's June 6th. June 6th. 
Um, that's the proposed release date. But actually, I just realized, so Duncan, you probably don't realize this, but I actually today sent you an email uh, telling you, sending you the cover for that episode, which is going to come out half a year from now. Um, and I sent it to you so that you could do an Instagram post saying, Geordie is so excited for the Daughters War that he's already sent me the cover for the, uh, for the episode, which comes out in six months. So in this moment now, this episode is going to come out after that post comes out. So you should at this point, because of that post, which I'm telling you to make, should know the date it's coming out. And if I get the chronology of all, the chronology of all those events right, it will be a blessing. But I think that just speaks volumes to how excited we both were for this book. And it's it's almost a little shame because and that's sort of one reason why I felt that Black Tongue Thief peaked it for me ahead of Legends and Artes. Because although Legends and Artes has a sequel and it's out now and I could be reading it, Legends and Artes did end in just such a way that I'm like, oh, do I want more? Uh, so please answer that question, Geordie, for me and let me know. I will. I will. I promise. But Black Tongue Thief, I want more. It was my favourite of the year. And I recommend it, not to everyone. No. Not to everyone. You've got to be able to handle it. Very scary. Well, not scary. Very horrifying. There's a difference. But to those who can are up for it, I think it'd be an absolutely amazing experience. Even the stuff which at the time in the episode we discussed as negative, like the death of that one side character, I look back on it quite warmly. That book has rested really well with me. And it has stood the test of time because I look back at it extremely fondly. Same. There are moments in that book where at the time I remember finding it kind of jarringly dark. But now I look back on those sort of very harsh jagged edges almost with a warm Mm. affection like, Brave, you went there. I like that. Actually, except for the bit just about the wizard who could have been his dad. I don't really know what was going on there. That was weird. Uh, fair enough. Nothing's perfect. And that's why it wasn't your best. Nothing's perfect. It was my favourite. There we go. Now we know why. Because there's no inexplicable scene in Legend of Lattes where Viv meets someone who could be her dad, but might not be, and might just be making it all up to make fun of him. So, Jordi, how's this year been for you? I think it's been pretty good. A lot of good stuff's happened to me this year. I feel like, uh... Yeah, I feel like uh, <laughs> 2023 is a year of Geordie Bailey getting some shit under control. 2024, I hope, will be about a year of Geordie thriving and making better financial choices. Do you have any New Year's resolutions, Duncan? That is an excellent question. So last year, for those that listened to that episode so long ago, I did mention my New Year's resolution was to get into my running more. And Geordie, Mm. I don't know as you know, but I hit my goal this year. I wanted to do a 10-mile run, 16K. So... Oh, good. 10 mile. That's, 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 that's actually pretty yeah, good. Yeah, and I did it. And I'm proud of it. And I'm really happy. Well and not only did I cross the finish line, but I crossed the finish line in a state where I was giddy. I was like, I want to keep going. Come on. I could just do the half marathon now. It was a wonderful experience. And I smashed that goal. Looking forward to the next year. That's brilliant. I, th- I, didn't, I thought it was a 10K. I didn't realize it was a 10 mile run. That's brilliant, man. Thank you. Well, because uh, 10K, you'd be like, cute, Duncan. Two of it more than no, that. that's genuinely what I was thinking <laughs> earlier this year. I was like, yeah, man, super impressive. Fucking weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> so, Not to insult anyone who did a 10K this year and was super proud of it. Uh, <laughs> it's only because I know that Duncan is a fighting fit Adonis. Thank you. And I suppose that would be part of my New Year's resolution. I've really worked on my in myself and my cardio and I am looking forward to the next mm. year maybe uh, working on some of the other parts of my body. I certainly could look into maybe doing, you know, a little bit of the muscle work uh, wouldn't go amiss. Mm. And I think as I as I eat towards 30, I certainly want to cross that that line in as good a shape as I can. So that would be my... you gotta got to preserve those your, your bone structure, man. It's going to go away. I think it's the habits you set now, though, that will really carry through later. And that's at least what I'm aiming to do. From So that's one of my resolutions. On the other side, I suppose... As always, I'm trying to dedicate myself to read more. <laughs> I really want in the next year to 
really dive in and maybe be a little bit more adventurous. I have my series, Geordie. You know, I've spoken about it. I've read a lot of Batman this year. I read a lot of Conan this year. I read mm. a lot of Star Wars this year. These big franchises mm. that I've really enjoyed, but I do feel maybe I should have given a little bit more effort to sort of the indie works. There's a lot of smaller time authors out there who maybe we won't do on the podcast necessarily, but I want to give my time to exploring and seeing if they're any good, in short. Good, that's good for you, man. I, do, I, I recall, actually, you set a goal this year to try and hit a book from every decade after a certain point. Did you succeed in that? Yes, I did, I think. I'm going to double-check the details Ooh. and fill in the, the history here. One second, hold it, Georgia, because I, I did do it. I just want to check that I actually did. So, Yep, Georgie, I actually did smash that. Um, I, I didn't actually originally realise that I smashed it because I was worried that I missed out the 60s. But then I realised good old Michael Moorcock, he was writing back then, and he filled in the blanks. Was he writing the book to which we read back then? He wrote one of the books that I read back then, and whether or not you'll get to read that, uh, okay. we'll see in the future. And that was definitely a really interesting experience. It certainly made me realise that there have been booms in certain fantasy subgenres over the years. And it is interesting to know that, though, that the genre is vast. And sometimes you read something and you feel like this seems really modern, and you read something and feel like this seems really dated. And you know what? Mm. That's actually more down to the author and what they were going for. It's not this fixed-in-time thing. We read um, on the podcast Never Ending Story, and that felt an awful mm-hmm. lot more dated to me than rereading Nine the Witch in the Wardrobe. That's interesting. I can see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And I don't know if it's doing a period piece in Nine the Witch in the Wardrobe makes it more timeless. But it may realise, you know, things aren't what they are. A common thing I have is in comics, people go, oh, well, you've got the Silver Age and they're written like this, and the Bronze Age, they're written like this, and in the 90s, they're written like this. I'm like, these are really broad strokes of the pen to sort of create these lines, and people get into these debates about eras and influences, and you're like, I, I've discovered, I think it's a lot fuzzier than anyone really gives it credit to, and everyone likes to do their boxes and be like, yep, this influenced that, and we didn't get any of this until that, and actually, you know what? That's often not the case. A big thing for me this year, actually, which I haven't even mentioned yet, Black Company. I actually did do a little Black Company revisit at one point. Don't know why I've not brought that up at all this year. And that does a lot of early Grimdark, or what we now know as Grimdark. And I went, oh, actually, I read this many, many years ago, and now reading it again, I go, oh, yeah. God, things haven't come that far. I'd be really interested to see how the Black Company... And early Grimdark compares to later Grimdark. Like, did Grimdark get darker when people were like, oh, we're going to make the Grimdark dark. Okay, well, let's let's make this dark grimmer. And Sentence of the Year goes to Geordie Bailey for his Grimdark, Dark Grim That's right. synopsis. But what about you, mate? What are your goals going forward? Uh, my goals are much, much less interesting than yours, Duncan. Uh, I just want to get thriftier. I, I spend a lot of, I spend money on crap I don't need. And I'm just going to be a lot more like just snacks, for example. I just spend too much money on snacks. Like I go into a store and I pick up a packet of crisps or a packet of Haribo or a drink I don't need. And my resolution is literally just I'm going to order groceries and I'm going to eat those groceries and I'm not going to get anything else. I, I'm not meant to give out advice. Uh, my partner says so. But one thing that I was told, advice given to me long ago when I was only, I think it was only my first ever job outside of uni. And a guy said to me, he's like, do you know what my biggest advice is? Don't be tight in the supermarket. You can afford to splash so much more cash on your weekly shop to get the things that you enjoy. You know, buy, Mm. I'm vegetarian now, so it doesn't apply, but buy the expensive honey ham. If that means that you don't buy a sausage roll when you're out and about. Have things in the the cupboard that you're genuinely excited to get back and eat. Mm. It always normally works out cheaper. No, no, that's so true. That's so true. Because I, I've got a list of like stuff. Maybe I got to be more adventurous at some point, but I've got a list of like, yes, I've worked out that this makes a certain number of meals and I enjoy all those meals so I can get through it and I'm not going to stray. Um, but I am going to tell you one thing I'm going to miss, man. Uh, my, I've gone independent as a professional dungeon master, which means that, which is good for me from a perspective of now I have a bit more control over how I run my business, 
which is great. But also, I don't get free paninis anymore. And I'm going to miss those paninis. Yeah, but you're also going to get paid more. It's that horrible balance. I told Duncan the difference in how much I'm getting paid now that I'm going independent. And he genuinely went, what? I I think, mate, not if... Uh, the only way you could have made up that difference is if you were hammering back those paninis between dice rolls. <laughs> They're really good paninis, man. I don't know what to tell you. Duncan, I think that's going to be it for us. I think that's true. It's been an amazing year with you, Geordie. Here to another great year. You too, man. To everyone listening, if you listened to our last episode of The Witcher Wardrobe, we already outlined our next book. But just to repeat it here, we'll be back with you middle of January with the first book of the year, which is going to be a short story, not even a book, Shadow's Kingdom by Robert E. Howard. A nice little small snack to get us going before we get into the much bigger books later in the year. Can't wait to see you all then. Yeah, see you around. I've been your host, Geordie Bailey. And I've been your other host, Duncan Nickel. Till next time. Uh, have a happy new year. Happy new year to you all. Bye-bye.